The voice in your head is the harshest critic you are ever going to encounter in your own life. If you believe everything that's going on in your head, like you, you're likely not going to be very happy. That's at least how it was for me when I was in that stage of believing everything I thought. Welcome back to the Hard Bad Athletics Inside and Out podcast. I'm your host, Derek Batman. Today, we're excited to welcome Kimberly Kesting to the show, host of the Get and Lifted podcast and head of growth at Enlifted. Kimberly is part of a team that has revolutionized mindset coaching using the Enlifted method, empowering leaders and coaches to overcome the victim mentality and optimize mental well-being. With six years in health and fitness coaching, she's focused on the crucial role of mindset in holistic wellness. Now she's sharing her expertise globally, helping coaches unlock their clients' full potential. In our chat, we'll explore mindset in health and fitness and the impact of imposter syndrome on coaches. Outside of the studio, Kimberly loves making luxurious coffee, which we talk about quite a bit, cooking healthy meals, and creative writing. Join us for this insightful conversation with Kimberly, a must-listen for anyone passionate about personal growth and coaching. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a huge shout out to our amazing sponsor, Lucid Branding Solutions. If you're running a service-based business and looking to boost your profitability, you'll want to hear this. Lucid Branding Solutions is your go-to partner for transforming your business's online presence. They specialize in creating visually stunning media that's not just eye-catching, but tells the story of your brand in a compelling way. But that's not all. In today's digital world, having a strategy is key. Lucid Branding doesn't just throw ideas at the wall to see what sticks. They craft tailored digital media strategies that align with your business's goals, ensuring that your brand not only gets noticed, but remembered. And let's talk about leads. We all know how crucial they are. Lucid Branding optimizes lead nurture systems, ensuring that from the first point of contact, your potential customers are engaged, informed, and ready to take action. Plus, in a world driven by data, Lucid Branding Solutions stays ahead of the curve. They provide top-tier data insights, giving you a competitive edge and keeping your business at the forefront of your customers' minds. So if you're ready to take your service-based business to the next level with a branding strategy that's as smart as it is stylish, visit Lucid Branding Solutions today. That's www.lucidbrandingsolutions.com. Trust me, your brand deserves this kind of brilliance. Now let's get back to the show. Kim Kesting, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> morning, morning. We were just uh, having a conversation about coffee cups and, and a love for coffee. Uh, where, where did your love for coffee come from? Uh, this is actually, that's a great intro question for this particular thing, which is that I, I've always enjoyed drinking coffee, but I, before I started podcasting, I was doing an Instagram live series called coffee talk on Sunday mornings. And it started becoming part of like my brand, if you'll say like my personal brand, me as Kimberly is the brand. And it's funny because I, like I enjoyed coffee. I always liked drinking coffee, but then once I started this interview series on Instagram live called coffee talk, everyone just started associating me and coffee. And then it snowballed from there. So I eventually upgraded my French press to this bougie um, Breville espresso machine. And I now have a full blown cafe at my house when my friends come over. 
inclusive of a menu. Oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah, I have some friends that have fallen into the same slippery slope of a trap and and one thing leads to another. Next thing you know, their kitchen's got $10,000 worth of coffee equipment sitting in it, uh, which I I cannot I benefit from. So exactly. I, I, I cannot complain. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's also nice. Like when when I have people over in person to podcast, I'm always like, Oh, let me make you a latte. And they're like, Oh, really? Okay. I'm like, yeah, it's like highest quality coffee. We got raw milk, we got different types of um, healthy sweeteners and things. I'm I'm I take it serious. I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole. But <laughs> what if you have to get coffee out? Where's your preferred choice? Do you go to something that's that's local? Or do you prefer something like a Starbucks? Yeah, you can't catch me dead at Starbucks. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> like spoken like a true coffee connoisseur. Exactly. So I usually it's actually one of my favorite things to do while I travel is find local coffee shops and test them out and, and see what I can find uh, that that meets my standards. It's so funny. Whenever I travel for business or personal, it's like morning time is designated for finding local coffee spots and evening time is designated for finding either wineries or breweries. It's like <laughs> you love drinks. Just where my mind goes. Yeah, why not? Why yeah, not? Love it. Awesome. Well, before we talk about coffee for an hour, um, I really, really appreciate you jumping on. So you're you're the host of the Get and Lifted podcast. And I I have to tell you, it is very refreshing having another podcast host on here because I feel like it adds to the volley a little bit and allows me to like break free of some of the tethers that kind of like situate me, particularly in the hosting side of things. You know what I mean? It can become less traditional because I feel like hosts uh, of other podcasts appreciate the fact that it's like it opens up conversation more when like both people are going back and forth. So it's just a different dynamic. Uh, And I wanted to ask you, in comparison, how do you enjoy hosting compared to going on other shows? So my favorite thing to do is be a guest on other shows for the exact reason that you just described you like having hosts on, which is that it's really fun for me to see somebody else's take on podcasting. It's really fun to be on the receiving end of questions. It's really fun for me to um, free flow and speak without having to have the plan, you know, or have to guide the conversation. I can speak a little more candidly. I can share from stories and experiences. And I also really appreciate seeing how other people are doing it, right? Like I'm a big fan of learning from others who are on the same path or on a slightly different path or on a similar trajectory. And one of the things that me as a guest on another person's podcast allows me to do is see how, you know, when I get asked a really interesting question, I'm like, oh, I'm going to bank that one to, to use in my show. Or if I have a bad experience, right, which has, has happened, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what not to do. Um, not like a super bad experience. It's not like I'm like, you know, wasting my time talking to people who it's like not interesting, but it definitely it, it's a learning experience. And it's always like, there's always something to take from it. And I like talking and meeting new people and podcasting is such a fun avenue to do it. So I love hosting and I more love being a guest. Uh, 1000%. You know, I, um, I don't know if you experienced this, but what I have recognized is when I host a podcast and I listen back, I'm always in critique of the things I was saying. So most of the time I'm giving myself some sort of like negative feedback and something to improve upon. When I'm a guest on somebody else's podcast, I go back and re-listen and I'm like, wow, that's a really interesting way to put that because people, Things get pulled out of you and they're less concerted when you don't have time to, to kind of like preemptively think about things when it, you, you just get put on the spot and you have to come up with with a deep answer. 
So it's just, it's funny in that dichotomy and the difference between the two. Yeah, I find like the, it's an interesting point you make about listening back. So some people that host podcasts or or go on podcasts, like they're like, I would not listen to myself. Like, why would I listen to myself? (laughs) And I listen to almost every episode that I put out less, the more, so I've been podcasting for two years and the further down the path, the less obsessive I've gotten about listening back. But I definitely, I really like, it's almost like that angel and devil on the two shoulders that you described, which is like the one side, which is where it's your show. So you have, like this pride and ownership over it where the critique can become like it's like oh man I put my foot in my mouth there or oh I wish I had asked this differently wait we're looking at it through a lens of how can we be better and then when you're on somebody else's show it's like you're you're celebrating yourself you're like yeah I'm so smart wow I said really cool things and like yeah that was awesome and I've had that same experience and I think what's interesting about it is that you or I won't project it onto you I'll say I when I have the experience of hearing myself back sometimes I don't remember everything that I say in conversation And sometimes I say things that I'm like, wow, that was, I don't know where that came from, because that wasn't me, or that that came from somewhere beyond me, I just opened myself up to say to say it. And I've had some really cool experiences. And I've also had some really vulnerable moments where I've shared things. I'm like, Oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. (laughs) (laughs) And people are like, thank you for sharing that story, because it really like gave me so much context and like perspective. And it's so inspiring. And those are always like the ones where you know, the, the critiques of ourselves, no one is critiquing us harder than, than us. No, that voice in our head, this is like exactly what we talk about with Unlifted. The voice in your head is the harshest critic you were ever going to encounter in your own life. No one else is talking that much shit about you. No, everything you just said mirrors, um, very much some of the talks that Brene Brown has given in the way of the times when we feel the most awkward and the most vulnerable are usually when we get the best feedback. And we, we are the most helpful to, to the listeners or the, the, the people that we're talking to, right? So it's like, we may feel in the moment, like, oh, this is an awful feeling. I hate, I hate being this vulnerable, but it's also the most, it has the most utility. Yeah. The most connection comes from it. And, and the, the experience in, in coaching a lot of times, right, is like, you're asking your clients to be very vulnerable with you and to do something different and to get out of their comfort zone and share something that's potentially like very sensitive um, or just something that is like really meaningful to them, you know, something really important to them. And so I find that the more vulnerable that I can be, which I just translate to being honest, I actually like, I, I, it's the same thing, honest, authentic, vulnerable. Those words are pretty synonymous for me is the more vulnerable and honest I can be, the more relatable I am to the person I'm trying to serve and help. And, you know, not to say that I'm just going to like spill everything and have, you know, totally no boundaries around my, my life and what I share and express, but coming at things that from, from more of a hindsight perspective, once I've moved through it and it's not as emotionally hot for me, sharing that is what is going to lead someone else. And so I've stretched myself to do it more and more and more. And every time I do, it feels, you know, it's liberating for me too. It's like definitely part of healing my own story and owning my own story. So it's the podcasting is such a phenomenal way to do it because it gets to reach a lot of people down the path that that can hear and grow and learn with me and from me and whether they agree with me or not all the time is fine. I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's like we can just have a fun conversation. It doesn't have to be right or wrong. And, uh, dialogue is good for us. That's a really good point. You know, it reminds me of, there's a saying that is the persona is incapable of feeling love. It can only receive praise. 
So when people pretend to be somebody, they can't genuinely receive love back because they know that it's not actually who they are. Whereas when we are being vulnerable, it allows us to kind of feel the love and connection from others um, rather than just praise. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I like that. Now I was introduced to you by Mark England and I know he's going to be making an appearance hopefully on the show later this month, if we can squeeze him in around the holidays. Um, But I was interested, how did you come about getting connected with Mark? Yeah. So I've been in the health coaching and adjacent space for uh, a little over six years. And my, uh, my story getting into health coaching was really, you know, personal victory of defeating being totally dissatisfied in my life, overweight, out of shape, um, miserable human that then went back to my, I was an athlete growing up. So I went back to my roots of like, I'm going to get fit again. And that's going to help me be happier. And, and it did. And then it led me down this path of learning that so much more than just fitness. It was what I was eating. It was what I was thinking. It was who I was connecting with, how I was spending my time, what I was doing. And so I was living in New York city. I was working in corporate life and I wanted out of that. So I said, I'd been listening to Barbell Shrugged and Mike Bledsoe and all those guys at my cubicle every day, trying to get better at doing CrossFit and better at nutrition and all the things. And so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be a health coach. (laughs) And I made the decision and, and sought mentorship and took a big plunge. And so Mike Bledsoe ended up being my first mentor in, in coaching and building my business. So down the line, eventually I get introduced to Mark through Mike. And Mark was this character that I was like, I don't think I understand this dude. I'm not sure what's going on here. But whatever he's doing is working. And so I'm curious, like teach me more. And I got to know him first on a first on a personal level. And then then eventually professionally, I took the enlifted certifications to help me move through a lot of the blocks that my clients were experiencing as working with primarily women around weight loss and getting fit and dipping my toe into holistic wellness, realizing that mindset was so such a critical piece to creating the transformation that they were seeking. And so I was butting up against, you know, my sessions would start out as talking about like their workouts of the week or talking about what food they were eating and talking about, you know, where they're going for their walks. And eventually they would spiral out of control into not out of control, it would just spiral into a place where I didn't really, I would hit up against the edge where I was like, I don't know what to do here, which was the stories from their childhood, the stories of like things that were the root cause of what was really going on, fights with their boyfriends, the shame that they felt around not being good enough, the pain points around the loops of patterns that they just kept getting stuck in. And no matter how much I explained to them, like what was the thing that they could do better to help themselves get out of this loop, there was so much explaining and answers and guidance, but they still weren't changing. And I was like, what the hell? I don't know what to do here. Like this is at my edge of coaching. I'm realizing like this is the real problem. So it's not like prescribing them, you know, workouts and, and meal plans and food and fitness. It's like really getting into their heads and their hearts and like moving through this, these motions and these stories. That's when I personally had been learning some of that from Mark from myself. Like, how could I set and achieve goals? How could I build a strong identity? How could I have a better, more resilient mindset? And I was like, I think what he's teaching is what I need to get through this, this edge of where my clients, where I'm kind of like, I'm outside of my range of skills. So I took the Enlifted certifications and immediately changed everything about how I was coaching. And I started at mindset. I started at the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. That's the unlifted definition of mindset. It all came down to like, and I'll say that again, a little slower. Mindset 
is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. So if the story is the thing, right, the, the way that we are telling that story is informing our habits, our behaviors, our general happiness, um, the way we relate to others, the way we see ourselves operating in the world, what we're capable of, what we're not capable of. If that, if we can shift that story, then we can shift all those things that it impacts. And my experience in mindset coaching prior to the Enlifted Method was more of that explaining or cheering them up or motivational quotes and cute little things that are like, you know, if you need a little tough love, like send them a David Goggins, David Goggins recording, you know, like stuff like that. And I didn't have a real understanding of that mindset was so much more about how to reprogram our own minds and how to shift and change those beliefs that it wasn't no matter how many cute memes I sent them on Instagram or how many times I motivated them, it wasn't going to change the way they saw themselves. It was always going to be something that they were going to butt up against and that I was butting up against personally. So when I learned the tools and techniques of how to actually do that, it opened up this entirely new avenue for me to support people and go deeper. And then it made all of the techniques and workouts and the, the food just so much easier to integrate and implement. And so once I saw that, I was like, wow, this is really awesome. I've got to just, I got to run with this and I've got to like keep teaching it and keep, and keep utilizing it. And eventually, you know, I joined the Enlifted team and which just happened by a like accident, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> it happened by accident and then has snowballed into like um, all the best things, right? Exactly. Yeah. It snowballed into now three years later, you know, podcasting and teaching other coaches this techniques and tools and sharing what we do out in the world because I'm that passionate about it. And I've seen the results a million times over for myself, for my clients, for the students that take the Enlifted certifications, for all of the people that they work with, like the, you know, the compound interest impact is huge. And so now I spend all my time talking about it. Well, it's very clear to me that you love it, which I think is one of the most important things for anyone that's teaching or doing anything. Um, you know, I was thinking as you were talking uh, through that about how every coach at some point runs into that constraint of I've given you all the tools I possibly can. Uh, why are you still not doing the right thing when you come to the fork in the road? And you know, it's interesting because there's obviously, and you and you you reflected on this a little bit, there is a mindset piece to the coach there. The easy way out would be to say, well, this person just isn't the right fit for me, right? I don't enjoy working in this niche of, of it. But, but the reality is, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a 70-year-old woman or a 25-year-old athlete, someone is going to run into a constraint that exists because of mindset and the story that people tell themselves at some point and in some area of their their personal fitness or health it, it becomes an imperative that you you increase your ability as a coach to be able to kind of do some of this deeper work uh, with these people um, out of all the clients that you work with do you have a favorite like not person but type of person yeah absolutely so I really enjoy working with women 
and women that are past versions of me. Honestly, I think that's where most of us like end up being the best coaches is guiding somebody through a path you've already walked. And so I now the primary, the the only work that I do in one-to-one coaching is with women around ultimately moving through the blocks and the stories that are stopping them from being the woman they want to be. And whether that's around food and body image and like their relationships or how they, how they think about themselves and how men view them or how it's impacting them in their professional life or whatever the thing is like we're, we're going deep and we're going to talk about what's really stuck in them. That's preventing them from building their most complete and total confidence. And in some cases I am still doing basic health coaching work with them because I'm still educating and I'm still teaching. And, and obviously, obviously, you know, like a healthy mind is synergistic with a healthy body. And so we do need to make sure that we're covering the foundational basics of sweating, drinking good water, eating real food, and, you know, having ability to manage our stress. So for for us to even go into the deep dive stories, like we have to meet those basic um, physical needs. And so I love working with those types of women who can really like take ownership in their life, shift the perspective out of the victim mentality. We'll, we'll definitely talk about that at length, right? Because whenever we're talking and lifted, we got to talk victim mentality and the experience of like just helping them own what they want and desire and step into that in their life in a powerful way. And so that's the same thing that I was doing when I was doing nutrition coaching, air quotes. It was, that was the result that they wanted. That was the outcome they wanted. It was, but the thing was, was that they thought, oh, I need to lose 20 pounds to get it. Oh, I, I need to build, build more muscle tone and have a six pack before a guy will ever like me for me to be successful and be this like boss babe. Like I have to hit it hard in the gym and I have to be able to like always go and achieve and achieve and work. And so they were burnt out and they're coming to me because they're like, I don't feel good. I don't like how I look. Um, I'm really not, I don't know how to like get stronger or improve or get better. And then like, that was the surface pain. And then we would start having the conversations and it was all the stuff that I just talked about. And so now I've, I've just cut the shit on the health coaching. And I'm like, listen, I don't want to talk to you about weight loss because that's not the real pain point. Um, and I work with them on, a, on that deeper level, but there's a stage of awareness there um, that like, as I've moved and developed and grown as a coach, my ideal client has also like, I've shifted it closer to the stage of awareness to working with a woman who knows, hey, actually, I know it's not about my body. I know it's not about the size of my dress. I know it's not about the extra weight that I'd like to shed. Yeah, I'd still like to do those things. And I've got all these other things that are stopping me from doing that. So I work with people that are a little further down stage of awareness now, because it's easier for me to just, you know, not have to explain <laughs> what's going on. But at the same time, it's, it's I realized I was like, it's the same thing that I was doing before. It's just a different conversation and, and a more direct path to to the result that they want. One of the areas I find myself being a broken record on is, is saying to people, if you have had a goal of losing weight for multiple years in a row, you need to change your goal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. And, And like, that's where everything you're talking about comes in, right? Because the goal then isn't weight loss. It's the mindset piece. It's some of the basic habitual and behavior patterns that 
long term will chip away and lay one brick after another towards that larger goal of losing weight. But that's not the main focal point. Yeah, I'm going to talk about I'm going to quote my one of my co hosts on getting lifted Chase Tolleson, who is a phenomenal fitness and mindset coach, which sounds like silly to even call him that because he does so much deeper work than that. Um, He says that they think they want to look how a fit person looks, because they want to feel how they think a fit person feels. And the thing is, is that like, I don't know about you. I've met a plenty of people who look really good on the outside that are a total train wreck on the inside. They have no confidence. They really don't feel that optimally as far as energy. They're not achieving the goals they want. They, they still can't get the girl. They like all the things that, right. It's like, just because you look good and you maybe present as if like you have it all, like doesn't mean that you do. And so I think what I've experienced, and I know this in my own story and I've I've seen it with other clients too, is like the idea is, is if I can just look a little, little better physically, or if I can like look a little more toned or I can be a little leaner or I can, you know, achieve these physical things that then all the other stuff is just going to domino into place. And like, you know, all the hot guys are going to come after me and I'm going to start making more money and I'm going to have like the dream house that I want. And I'm going to be able to um, confidently show up to work and ask for a raise. And it's like, no, no, like that requires a whole different set of skills and work to to do like fitness is fitness. And yeah, it's going to build a lot of confidence in you because you're going to like you're going to build that mind body connection. You're also going to start to like have more energy and be more excited about your life. You're going to have more vitality to you and all the other stuff that you want on the other side. That's a whole different set of work that we have to do <laughs> that we get. Absolutely. To. Yeah. And the, the irony in this, too, is it's not like people that are the top 5% in terms of looks, right? The, the figure models and the bodybuilding competitors. It's not like they are free from the body image problems. Like th- many of them still suffer from body dysmorphia. It does not, it, 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 achieving that level of success with aesthetics does not free them from the tethers of some of their mindset issues around how they, how they look. Yeah. I've, I, I, sometimes it's deeper. Sometimes it's deeper rooted because again, like what is the motivator to get to that level of, to that goal, right? Like it's hard work to lose weight. It's hard work to put on muscle. It's hard work to get strong. It requires consistency. It requires dedication. It requires like some, some real effort. You know, it's not like it happened. It does not happen by accident. And so to be the type of person who can show up consistently and, and produce that outcome and result, you got to be a little obsessed. You know, you got to be, a, you got to be real committed. And what ends up happening is this is like a p- perfect way to segue into the conversation about what's going on in the head, right? In the mindset, right? The story we're telling ourselves is what's really underneath that drive of the commitment. Is it the, I hate myself. I don't like how I look. I have to get better or, um, I'm so angry and fitness is the only way for me to outlet some of that steam or get some of that steam off. Or like, I'm really like, I'm so insecure that I really want to look better. And so like, I'm obsessively going to the gym every day, or I need validation about my body so that I can feel good about myself. And so I'm going to do this bikini competition. And I'm not saying that this is the story that's happening in everybody's mind. I'm just, I'm I'm talking extremes here. And is that the motivator? Is that the pre-workout you're taking to get into the gym and to, to, to drive your motivation of how and why you show up every day? Or are you showing up from a place of like, I love my body. I'm fueling it right now. I'm building strength. I'm excited to be here. This feels so good to work like this. I'm, I'm really proud of the outcome. Two totally different perspectives that can drive the same result 
one is a lot more enjoyable than the other. And one of those is going to help set you up for success in all the other areas too. Right. So yeah, piece I want to add to that is, you know, and this is just slightly adjacent to that conversation is what is your why behind working out? And what are you trying to achieve in your life? Like how is fitness complementing the other areas of your life? And one of the, the things I think about quite often is like now being a parent, I want to be able to come home and be an energetic, present father that's capable, right? And obviously, there's the, the physical capacity and capability standpoint. But what that does not require, right, and actually proves to be a deficit in the gym is if I go to the gym and just hammer myself into the ground, and I come home and my shoulders bothering me, so I can't pick my daughter up and put her above my head, my energy levels are in the toilet because I bathed in lactic acid for three hours, right? There, there's, there's a lot of ways that can actually detract from the quality of life outside of the gym. And I think sometimes it's parenthood, sometimes it's injury. A lot of people have life events that occur that kind of shed light into this area and, and make them refocus their why behind their working out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely agree. And sometimes those life events are by choice, like choosing to become a parent. Sometimes those life events are like you got hurt, you got injured, um, or there's something outside of your control. And when that happens, that story can can get even louder, can get even run even more rampant, can just destroy you from the inside out. You know, I've seen this a lot in um, when people have injuries within fitness that it completely derails their life because, you know, their coping mechanism, which was going to the gym, the way they felt good about themselves, which is, you know, working out and pushing harder is now not available. And, you know, doing the PT work isn't sexy, right? Going for walks isn't sexy. And so they're like, I want to, I want to get back under the barbell. And, you know, that's where I can find the validation or that's where I can find the, the confidence that I'm looking for versus being like, Hey, you know what? Okay, cool. Like signal that my body is overloaded and I'm going to nur like nurture it to get back to optimal strength. I'm going to slow down a little bit. I'm going to make sure that this is uh, addressed and taken care of. I'm going to build back my strength and I'm going to get back there. And in the meantime, the extra time I would have been spent in the gym, I'm going to focus over here at this stage of my life. Right. Well, that's like being mentally resilient. That's being able to be um, mentally and emotionally resilient, right? Being able to, to navigate the story and to move through it without letting it overwhelm us versus the other side would be like that, sto that story, that injury just tanks you. And it becomes the thing you talk about for the rest of your life about how it ended your, your career as an athlete or how it stops you from doing the things that you love, right? Or, you know, you'll hear people bring it up in regular everyday life. It's like, oh, I can't do that because my shoulder. And it's like, oh, okay, interesting. Like, and things happen because of like, because of however they happen, right? But like the meaning that we assign about them, the things, the way that we interpret what that means about us, about our value, our worth, our abilities, our the ownership over it of this happened to me versus it just happened, right? That's the victim mentality is that being on the receiving end of problems that are outside of ourselves or outside of our control and puts us in this totally disempowered state. That means like there's nothing I can do about it. It's just the way it is. And so working on unwinding those stories and even just, you know, like, prerequisite to any of this is observing the story in our head, even knowing like, if, if some of the things I've said, 
about in that inner dialogue is like, Oh yeah, that resonates. Like I've, I've heard that in my own head. Like that's, that's the first step is actually just observing that inner dialogue, recognizing that you're, you are not your thoughts, right. Which you can do through many different avenues of meditation or journaling or therapies and observing that. But the, the key thing is, is like those, those thoughts that are running through your head that are in your voice, those aren't infallible truths. Those are just opinions. And those are just random plops of information that's all formulating this mindset that you tell your, you know, the story that you tell yourself that you are actually authoring. (laughs) So there's this, it's like a cosmic joke, right? Because if you believe everything that's going on in your head, like you, you're likely not going to be very happy. That's at least how it was for me when I was in that stage of believing everything I thought. I think one of the most obvious examples is that piece to when somebody tells themselves a story around some sort of pre-existing injury. And uh, one of the things I always say to those clients is that fear is an ocean that is a mile wide and an inch deep. And oftentimes it, it takes very little work to get to a place where you see a profound difference in how you feel in that particular area. So if you have shoulder, knee, hip, back pain, it's like, Doing physical therapy, focused, non-distracted, three times a week for 10 to 15 minutes will be life-changing in less than a month for most people. It's just that they can't get over the fear of returning to some form of physical activity because of things that have happened to them in the past. Yeah. Absolutely. And we, so we've worked with a lot of physical therapists in the Unlifted certifications and they've all talked about how addressing the story before even getting into the treatment of like prescribing, like, here's the movements we're going to do. And here's how we're going to work on it, how that has radically changed the client's ability to, uh, to rehab it, right, and to get back to, to better than before. And I experienced this myself, I have this like lingering shoulder thing that I kept like full disclosure, I'm, I'm very woo. So I feel I believe, yeah, there's physical pain in my body yet could be a physical injury, or it could be an emotional injury. (laughs) It could be physical pain that has happened because I physically hurt myself, or it could be something that I'm carrying in my physical body, because the body stores trauma, and stories and and emotions. And so I had this shoulder thing that had been going on for a long time. And I had tried I tried a lot of stuff like self treatment with like foam rolling and release and like building, you know, um, supporting strength around the like the whole thing. And I had tried some of the emotional work around like, okay, it's my left shoulder. And that's my heart chakra and relates to the feminine. So maybe this is a thing with my mom or my grandmother. And I had done some of that stuff. And then I hit this point where I was like, okay, it's still not getting better. And uh, a friend and one of the students have been lifted, Mark Gallant, he's a physical therapist, he's here in Richmond, which is where I live. And I call him up and I'm like, Mark, listen, I know you're going to get this because you understand this from both sides. I was like, I need you to help me. (laughs) I'm like, I need you to help me address the story. And I need you to help me physically because there's a combination of something going on here that I have yet to been able to like deduce down into making my shoulder better, which is what I want. I want the ability for me to, at the time I was teaching rowing classes, I was like, I want to be able to teach like four to six classes a week and row with them and feel great. I don't want to come home and be dying. I want to be able to take my favorite shirt off over my head, which has this like band around the bottom that's a little tight. Like I just want to move again freely. And I was like, I know that there's part of this that is the the physical and part of this that is emotional, mental, and, and most importantly, my story about what's going on here. And so we worked together and he helped me out a little bit and it's, and it, um, and the thing was, was like, it's still persisted. And I was like, why is this? Like, I thought for sure, like 
this was going to be it. Like, it was like, we did the story work. We did the physical strengthening stuff. Like what the heck's going on here? And I realized I was like, you know what? Sometimes like the body's just going to do what the body's going to do. And the work for me in that was realizing, Hey, I've addressed, I, I can continue to work on the story and I can continue to work on it physically and relieve the pressure of getting fixed or being better or having it be like, yeah, I don't want to feel pain every day, which I don't anymore, but it's like, it's, it's just, this is part of the process. This is part of accepting and appreciating what my body can do and what it's capable of. And not everything is just like, you know, I realized the story I was stuck in was that I had to get better. Like I had to, I had to completely resolve the problem or that there was even a problem. Right. And so it was like getting back to that, like understanding that having that dual approach of looking at the story and looking at the physical and addressing, you know, what's going on within my own life that I could shift and change around where I'm at rather than making it be this whole dramatic thing, which it had been for a year before that, right? It was like consistently, I was, I was dramatizing it, making it this whole to do. And then eventually I was like, Oh, wait, okay, like, this doesn't have to be this end all be all thing. And with the right dual approach, I can get the result that I want, which is to be out of pain, mostly and to still be able to do all the activities I want to do. And if and when it pops up, not go into this whole spiral of victim mentality about this means I'm never going to be able to row again, or this means I'm never going to be able to lift a barbell again, or this means I'm never going to be able to take my, to wear my favorite shirt again. <laughs> like, you know, things girls really care about. So we, we can spiral and we can, we can spiral out of control, but we can also spiral into control when we learn how to work with the thoughts and when we learn how to work with the story. So it's a very cool uh, combination of ways to, to come at things from a more holistic perspective and you don't have to get super woo about it. Like I'm woo. That's cool. You don't have to be woo. It can just be, uh, it can just be that there's, you recognize that the dialogue in our own heads, the story we tell ourselves is equally important to address as what the physical body is doing. And that could be for an injury or in a workout. I think everyone's woo in some area of their life or another. Um, you know, interestingly, it's it's much easier for people to pinpoint when they suffered or sustained an injury. It's much harder for them to recognize when they became free from it. So people returning the exercise, you'll, you'll say like, oh, when did your foot stop bothering you? You know, I don't know. You know what I mean? And, and it, it, that alone should show you that there are more things at play than just physical recovery. Because the reality is it's not like one day, all of a sudden it got better and your fear of running again, all of a sudden vanished and your ability to jump all of a sudden became, you know, came back to you. Like those things occurred because of some of the mindset piece in, as it relates to the injury. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, to stick on this thread of injury stories for a second, like the, you, you nailed it. Exactly. People can tell you in detail what happened when they got injured and how it happened, because that is a painful traumatic story that we have frozen into our heads. Now, the thing is, is when a story is in the head and I'll let Mark England give you the full education on the unlifted method, cause he's going to do it and I'm not going to steal his thunder. So when you guys have Mark on <laughs> all of the, the mechanics of this, I'm going to give you like the contextualize how this is showing up for you in the gym or in your clients or whatever. 
So when a story is in our head and it's this like seemingly infinite thing, it's just rolling around up here and we might talk about it. We might like think about it a lot, but it's just like this constant ongoing thing and there's no beginning and no end. And so an injury story, a lot of the time, what has happened is that it is such a um, emotionalized, traumatic, like painful experience that is frozen into our bodies and our minds that we uh, are afraid to address it directly, which is to, to write it down exactly as it happened and then go through the process of the Enlifted Method with it. And again, I'm going to let Mark do his thing and teach you all that. So just ask him about injury stories. He'll be like, oh, hell yeah. So, <laughs> so the host notes for the future. So the idea is, is like people can tell you that exact moment that that happened. And the, the thing is, is that they can tell you the exact moment, they can tell you all the details, but they really haven't relieved the emotional stress around it. Even if they've gone to the physical therapy, even if they've been working through it, even if they've healed it, right, there's constant kind of like low grade fear of um, exactly as you described it mile wide inch deep, it's constant and low grade, that is like, I'm afraid to lift this barbell over my head, because the last time I did it, this is what happened. And okay, even though I've been rehabbing it, I'm building some strength and confidence back, I'm still scared, because I haven't really addressed the story of what happened. I haven't released that emotional pain, trauma experience, and neutralized it back down to zero and just say, Oh, yeah, that happens. But my body's resilient. And I'm I'm back. I've done the work to get myself back here. And so the the process of um, working with that alongside of the fitness coaching or the nutrition coaching, or like as you're training for a marathon or whatever the thing is, like as those, as the, the mindset stuff pops up, having tools to address it before it gets out of control or before it gets too big and too like, I mean, we can address it at any point in time, but the, the point being is like address it when it happens, you know, let's deal with it as it happens so that we don't carry that low grade fear or that anxiety or that, um, kind of like pit in our stomach that's like, ooh, I don't know if this is going to work out or I'm afraid this is going to happen again. If we can address that right as soon as it happens or as quickly after it happens or in the process of healing it, it's we're going to set the client up for so much better success and confidence and clarity around how they're going to move through the next time confidently and safely and rather than being in fear because, you know, the... um the dialogue that's running through our head as we go to do something influences the outcome, right? If I think about going to go run, run a race, right? Run a marathon. If the entire time I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to PR, I'm not going to hit my numbers. I'm just going to like, oh, man, this is going to suck. That's going to influence the outcome because our thoughts influence the reality of what happens versus if I show up confidently, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to hit my, I'm going to hit my goal. I'm confident. I'm I've trained for this. I'm, I'm doing it right. And then that influences that outcome. And so, so much of that, that the mindset piece that, you know, people in fitness are talking about it a lot, but they're really talking around it from my perspective after having learned how to go directly at it by addressing the words and the stories. So the talking around it piece is like, we all know we need to get better at our mindset. Yeah, let's get better at our mindset. Let's motivate ourselves. Let's like read the inspirational books. Let's listen to the podcast. Let's like, you know, learn from other people who have done it. Yeah, I'm going to work on my mindset versus let's actually train our mindset in the same way we would lift sets and reps in the gym. Let's train our mindset. Let's look at the words. Let's look at the stories. Let's see how our response to those is, is being tracked. Let's, uh, let's see how that, how can we rep it out every day when we go to do the thing or as we're out living our life, driving in the car or at the grocery store, what do we observe those thoughts and see how they're framing what's coming through. And so 
the Enlifted Method. And again, I'll let Mark get into all the details because he's so great at it and he loves it. And it's his it's his baby, right? And he loves talking about it. And I like to talk about it from a context of like, yeah, let's, how are we using this? What are we doing with it? How are you going to use it in your specific coaching practice so that we can get these clients moving better, breathing better, thinking better, happier outside of the gym too. And yeah, it's like now I'm, I'm down this path of like, there's so many ways to apply it. And there's so many different avenues we can do because this is not unique to me to the gym. This is everyday life. This is everything that you do is you're speaking English and even in other languages too. We just don't teach other languages. <laughs> we teach purely in English. It's like, what thoughts are you having when you go to do the thing? What emotional response are you having when you go to do the thing? Where's your breath at? How, what's going on here? And we can, we can go directly at it rather than that talk around it conversation. I love all that stuff. Yeah. I was a weightlifting coach for years. And one of my observations through that time and working with, uh, you know, all types of different athletes was I have seen a bunch of people miss lifts that believed that they were going to make them, but I have never seen someone make a lift when they believed that they weren't going to make it. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, I'm sure you've seen this experience before in the gym too. Somebody else loads your bar and you think, Oh, it's like, you know, I'm going to squat. It's 200 pounds. And really it's like 210. And you, cause you just like didn't count the plates, you know? And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, okay. I, it's, this is a weight that I know I can lift. And then all of a sudden you get under the bar and it's like, feels a little heavier, but you like push up and you get it. And then your buddy's like, Oh man. Yeah. Like, and you don't, cause you just don't realize. And because you just didn't know you couldn't like when you, but if you knew that that's the number that was on the bar, which you've never been able to do before the story you're telling yourself, right? You probably wouldn't have been able to lift it, but what was different? Nothing. Just the only thing is like, you just didn't know. They've actually run this experiment. There have been a number of um, uh, exercise physiology uh, experiments done where they did research on where they would basically have a, a control group and a variable group and the variable group, the weights weren't labeled and you couldn't tell what was what and they loaded the bars for you. Then they've done experiments similarly where they would tell you the weight was one thing, but it wasn't. And then in other ones, they, they wouldn't tell you right? Or they would tell you the actual weight. And every single time it proved that not knowing the weight, right, or believing you were lifting a lighter weight, um, allowed you to gain strength faster. That's yeah, that's awesome. I love that. I've had that experience personally. So I know I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so I want to dive down a rabbit hole with you, because it's one of my favorite ones. What is imposter syndrome? Ooh. And uh, how much should we accept it as part of our lives if we plan on being someone that prioritizes growth? That is a great, that's a great second part of that question. So imposter syndrome is, I want to bring back to the example that you talked about as a coach when you're like, oh, that client just isn't the right fit for me, right? We talked about that earlier. Um, that's a flavor of imposter syndrome. That's like, and sometimes that's, sometimes that's true. Sometimes the client isn't the right fit for you, but just because they're not getting the result that you wanted to give them and you know, it's like in your wheelhouse to give them, like, doesn't mean that they're not the right fit for you. Sometimes that's where you got to reflect back and say, oh, I can do more here. So the imposter syndrome shows up, I think at every stage of your career. And if you want to be successful long-term, you've got to get comfortable with it and understand how it shows up when it shows up and what to do about it. And so as a coach, like, here's, here's the, the reality of it is like, you know, more about your client, you know, more about the thing you're teaching your client than your client does. 
but you still don't have all the right answers and you still don't have every piece of information that you could ever need to make sure that this person is getting the the absolute best course of advice, right? And I think fitness coaches and nutrition coaches experience this in an interesting way because there is clinical professionals in this realm that you can sometimes think, well, I'm not a doctor or I'm not a physical therapist or I'm not a nutritionist or I don't have like a PhD in biochemistry. So I don't really know what's going on here. Um, that's bullshit guys. Like, (laughs) you know what you know. And as long as you continue to develop your craft and stay curious and to learn about how to best serve the person in the environment that you're serving them in, you can do a lot of work and a lot of help for people outside of that clinical system. And that's one of the biggest ways I see it show up for fitness professionals is like, they always kind of like defer to the fact like, well, I'm not one of those things. Guess what? That system is failing and is, is missing the mark on so many things. You're better equipped to help the average person than they are. Right? Like doctors don't take nutrition courses. Doctors don't prescribe food as medicine, unless you're talking to a functional medicine doctor. So yeah. So it's like, we, we as fitness pros and working in the land of fitness can support a lot of people a lot better than the traditional healthcare system. So all that to say, so that's my personal rant. Okay. So now my, 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 (laughs) how to address this and why it's important and why you've got to get comfortable with it is imposter syndrome is, is a story that we're telling ourselves. And usually the way that that story shows up is in specific sentences. So, um, the ones that show up for me is like, I don't know what I'm talking about when I do know what I'm talking about. Um, Is that even, am I even any good at this, right? Which is like something that I know I'm pretty good at or like I've had many reps and experiences in. Um, Why would anyone ever want to listen to me, right? Like that's one that I hear when I podcast or um, something along the lines of like, can I really help this person? Am I really qualified to help this person? And I could list off probably 20 more and just ramble them off. And, And you know, like if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I've heard stuff like that before in my head. Think about the specific sentence that shows up in your mind, right? This, the, down to the exact words, if you can, or start noticing what those sentences are. And my first challenge is to you is just write them down, purely write them down or write down when you feel like an imposter. What do you, when do you feel like a fraud, right? When do you feel like you don't know enough, you're not good enough. And then just like assess its accuracy, you know, like our brains, we have this thing called a reticular activating system, which is the simple, most simplified explanation of it is a search and edit function that looks for the evidence to back up whatever the thing is, is that you already believe, right? So, or what you're already attuned to. So if I think that I'm a bad fitness coach, cause I don't know enough, or I don't have enough certifications or I haven't, um, because I don't look as fit as these people that I'm, I'm trying to get fit, right? Like I don't have the physique, whatever the thing is that's showing up in your mind, the, we, we've got to like get clear on those sentences and externalize them, put them down on paper. And then we can assess the accuracy. We can also look for stories when we believe that, but we can also start collecting evidence against it, right? So that reticular activating system is going to collect evidence for wherever you put your attention. It's going to show you all the places where you didn't get the result for the client, where you didn't know enough, where you put your foot in the mouth, where the client didn't say yes to working with you. It's going to start to show you all of those examples. But what we're not seeing is all the examples of the places where I was a really great coach. I got great results for this person. I saved this person 
a ton of money on medications that they otherwise would have been taking if they didn't get fit and healthy. Um, I've really improved this person's life over here. I've looked at the results that I've had and how many clients I've worked with that have won. And we have to start tuning our attention towards the direction of like reinforcing the good things to start quieting that imposter syndrome, working through the stories that are popping up. And one of the other key pieces that we like to talk about in, in the enlifted arena is the difference between imposter syndrome and beginner syndrome. Because sometimes we just truly don't know because we haven't started yet, or we're just getting started, or we're just learning about the thing. And that's a distinct difference between like intentionally deceiving somebody, which is an imposter, right? Like nobody is intentionally trying to like pretend like they have it all together when they don't. Like you have really good intentions, coach. You have a really good approach. Like you, you're curious and interested and you're going to, um, you're going to learn what you need to learn, but you don't have to have all the right answers. And so part of what we, what we go through in the enlifted method is an unwinding of our own imposter syndrome stories, which you'd be shocked how many people at high levels, the things they say about themselves. We did an episode, actually, this is um, very early days of the Get Enlifted podcast. It's like episode number four with Anders Varner, who was like an early mentor for me from listening to him on Barbell Shrugged and like just loving learning from him. I know he's a really high level skilled coach. And the whole episode is about his imposter syndrome, about he doesn't know enough to help people because he's not Andy Galpin. And I was laughing because I was like, Anders, are you serious, dude? Like you have so much knowledge, so much, so many years of experience, so much to offer. And, and we, we talked about that for most of the show about how he's like, you know, at the, the higher levels he goes to, the more of an imposter he feels like. And I'm like, oh, that's curious and interesting. Right. So it's like, that's a real time example, but there's also like, you know, people who, um, like pick your favorite person who's like a, a podcaster or, like famous person or whatever and ask them about their imposter syndrome guess what they're gonna have it it's like it's by design in the human mind the stories that we create the ways we don't feel we're not good enough it like it happens for everybody and so the the real thing is is like how do I address it and how do I deal with it how do I learn to acknowledge when that voice pops up and what to how to redirect my attention and how to reinforce my identity as a highly skilled coach if we're talking about it in the arena of coaching and so I think about this like my my imposter voice, we name it in the enlifted program. Like we'll give them a name. Mine is that bitch Kimmy. And it's when she starts talking and I hear those voices, there are the thoughts and those sentences. Like, am I good at this? Is anyone enjoying listening to me? Is this like even relevant or is this right? Like whatever those things are, I can hear and identify that thought. And then I can create some space from it. And we do that through a series of getting more accurate with our words by getting our breath low and slow, slowing down our rate of speech. Like there's a lot of techniques and tools that we use and we talk about. And ultimately the imposter syndrome is going to be with you through every level, right? It, but you don't have to believe it. You, it's not the story you have to buy into. And when you create freedom from it, because you realize like, oh, there's that pesky voice again. There's that bitch Kimmy. It's like, okay, well, what does Kimberly actually say? And what does she really want and think and do? And where's the evidence that supports I can go in this direction? And most people just, they get stuck at, you know, again, believing the story versus observing the story, two totally different things. So if you believe your imposter syndrome, you're, you're going to feel like an imposter. If you observe it and then you're like, okay, cool. What can I, how can I, is there any part of this that's accurate? Can I, can I, sharpen my skills somewhere. And then it's like, no, that's more beginner syndrome. Then it's not really being an imposter. It's something like I can get better at something I can refine my skills at. And, and yeah, it's like co learning to cope with that throughout the entirety of your professional career. Um, 
people say like a new level, a new devil. It's like that devil's always imposter syndrome. Every level, there's going to be a new type of imposter because anytime you stretch yourself, you're going to feel a little bit like, Ooh, am I supposed to be here? Am I supposed to talk about this? Am I supposed to do this thing? And yes, if you want to. Yeah. I've actually, because of my own personal journey over the last couple of years and, and the ways in which I've been forced to grow at a rate that I haven't in the past have worked through this exact conversation a lot. And I've, I've kind of created a few different buckets that allow me to kind of differentiate what is what when things are occurring. So for example, I've come to recognize that imposter syndrome to me is just when you lack the evidence that you're capable of doing something. And this is going to present itself when you are going through a growth phase of your life, right? It is a natural part of that. With that said, it doesn't mean that you are going to underperform at the thing that you are attempting to do. And it means that the center of the bullseye is learning and growing as part of taking on something new that is far beyond your current capacity. On the flip side of this, you have what's called productivity dysmorphia, which is when you undervalue your achievements. So in reflection, when you're looking backwards, right, because imposter syndrome is generally future looking, right? And then uh, a productivity dysmorphia is looking retroactively and saying, I achieved all of these things, right? And in the moment, they felt great. But then in hindsight, you're like, oh, yeah, but it's not, it wasn't that big of a deal because I'm not, I'm not this yet, right? So it's like there's this interesting interplay between those two things that occurs. And I think being able to differentiate them and separate them and acknowledge them for what they are is really important in the way that you talk to yourself as you go through these growth phases. Yeah, this is the first time I've heard productivity dysmorphia, and I love it. I love that. That's like, it is such a, um, I, like, as soon, I was like, Ooh, what is that? Like, as soon as you said it, I was like, what is that? And then you, the second you described it, I'm like, yes. So we talk about this in the context of like celebrating wins, right? So people that are successful, that are going after things that are achieving things, you, you've, you've achieved some stuff along the way, right? If you're, if you're hosting a podcast, if you're running a business, if you are leading some people, if you're speaking on a stage, if you are building a business, like you've accomplished stuff that has led you to get to that place. Like you build, you're building up your staircase and you've, you've got to hit the steps before to be able to get to the next one. And like you said, like you could be like sprinting up the staircase and just like leaving these achievements in the dust and never actually acknowledging them or celebrating them or um, showing that these are massive milestones and big deals. And that that will inflame your imposter syndrome. If you think that what you've done so far is not good enough, is not big enough, has not helped you along the way, and you've not acknowledged it and celebrated it from a place of like, yeah, this is really valuable to me. And this is exciting for me. And this is like, great job. And like, give yourself the like credit, give yourself the pat on the back. That's how we build the evidence against that I'm an imposter, right? By celebrating the wins and being able to like we, so as part of our level two certification, this is how we, that's where we start teaching this technique in the enlifted method. And it's always, it's comical to me because, because, because I know what's happening, but it was comical to me when I first did it myself before I even understood what was going on was how many people in the room in the class 
that I looked to and I thought, wow, this guy's got it figured out. This person is so much further ahead of me. They've done so much. I've seen all the things that they've done. I follow them online. Wow. Like I'm impressed. And then they come on and to try to speak about themselves and they belittle what they've done. They don't even see, they don't see the same thing that I see. Right. And, and I'm like, what? That's what you think about yourself? Are you kidding me? But then when it comes to be my turn and I have the same experience and I'm like, oh, oops. Like, yeah, I don't think that's a big deal or I'm not giving myself credit for that. It's again, it like, it helps to understand that this is like pretty, pretty universal. And it's not necessarily like, and then the question I ask when I realize that it's universal, I'm like, why? Why? And there's, and, and, and maybe even a better question is how, because why is this pretty big unanswerable thing? That's like, well, why is that happening? And is this like how our brains were designed or is this how society is forcing us to look at it? Or is this like how, like, you know, what is the, there's too many big answering questions to answer there. But when we ask the question, how, that's where we can take the enlifted method. We can say, let's look at the language that we're using here. Let's look at the way that we're framing our sentences to see like, is this putting me in an empowered position? Do I feel empowered and confident and clear about where I want to go? Or am I completely looking in the opposite direction? You know, like it's like, am I trying to drive and looking in my rear view mirror about where I need to make the next turn? Cause that's not like, that's going to crash, you know, but like if I drive and I look through the windshield and I see the signs and I can follow the road and like, yeah, then I'm going to get to where I want to go. So it's a matter of like framing ourselves and recognizing that this is, is a universal problem for successful people. You know, I think, um, I think that that alone, <laughs> even if we don't actually get into the, the root of how it's happening, why it's happening, what's going on there and how to, what to do with it. Just like knowing that this is something that we all face on our journey of success. It's, it's, it's a symptom of being successful. It's people who are do, not doing anything with their lives. Don't have imposter syndrome. Okay. I think, yeah, I think recently, uh, Alex Hermosi said, you can't wish for a strong character and an easy life. It, it's it one comes with the other. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, it's true. It's like, I think about, I mean, the guy who like hasn't, has never really like put in any effort in his life and working on achieving anything accepts the norm and status quo. Like, I don't think he feels like an imposter. I don't think he thinks like, oh man, I'm a good, like, I'm not good enough to do these things. Or maybe they, maybe they feel like the I'm not good enough story, which is like something that is pretty universal across every person I've ever spoken to when I'm getting into their, the, the conversations about what's going on in their head, that, that I'm not good enough story is going to show up somewhere somehow. And, um, maybe that's the thing that's keeping him stuck in the mundane, but the reality is, is like to feel like an imposter. The other thing I like to look at in this word, in this conversation is like, what is the actual definition of an imposter? An imposter is somebody who's like intentionally trying to deceive, like they're intentionally trying to be deceptive or to pull one over on you. And if you're feeling imposter syndrome, it's like you feel like you're being an imposter. You think somebody else is going to think you're an imposter or a fraud, but you yourself don't, you're not intentionally trying to deceive anyone, you know, like fake it till you make it. Like that's, I don't think that's good advice <laughs> because you know, you don't have anything to fake. Like just be, be real and be honest and be direct and, and, and work towards your goals. And then well, uh yeah, there's also a difference between faking it and figuring it out as you go. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? So like you, you can agree to do something and then realize that there are holes 
in things that you need to learn in order to be able to fulfill on the promise that you just made. But that's, that's life that happens all of the time. Yeah, exactly. And that's where then I can classify it as beginner syndrome. Cause it's just, I just don't know it yet. I don't know how to do it yet. And I'm going to learn. Yeah. And that's the difference between somebody who's successful and somebody who, who's never going to do it. Amen. Well, Kim, tell the listeners where they can learn more about the Enlifted program. Yeah, absolutely. So my favorite place to learn more about what we do is our podcast, Get Enlifted. Tons of free content on there, obviously long form conversations. We also have some short, quick, um, like more practical application of the Enlifted method. And if you're a coach and what we're talking about is really resonating for you in something that you could see a you see yourself applying this in your coaching practice and the tools of unwinding your own mindset and then being able to help your clients do the same, go to enlifted.me. That's our website. And on there, you'll be able to find all the details about our certification and the process of using the Enlifted method in your coaching. And there's some freebies on the site too, and different ways that you can interact with us. Um, follow us on Instagram at Enlifted Coaches and, and just talk to us, honestly, like we run a very like personalized business in the sense of that, like we want to get to know our clients and our community. We have um, close to 400 and lifted coaches that we all stay connected on a platform called Mighty Networks. And we've, we're building this really awesome online community. So if it's something that resonates with you and like you like this conversation, let's have a real conversation. Let's actually talk and get to know each other and, and see how we can help and support you on, on the journey or share some of our resources and workshops and ways that you can work with us. Um, that's not the certification, but it's really, um, it's all available on the website or, you know, if you want to hear more from us and hear more of conversations like this, it's the Get and Lifted podcast. Amazing. I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on with me. This was a blast. Um, yeah. I, I would love to go on your podcast and I'd love to have you on again. And I am now even more excited to talk to Mark. Yes. Yeah. He, Mark is really fun um, to talk to and he's done, he, he is, uh, yeah, he's a whole different flavor of this conversation than I am. <laughs> I'm ready for all the flavors. <laughs> yeah, totally. I love it. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for, you know, leading with good questions. And I'm going to go look up my Ember mug and see if I'm going to upgrade my coffee. Oh, do it. Do <laughs> it. You'll never go back. Well, Kim, thanks again so much for hopping on. Yeah, absolutely. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.